the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. The European Commission last week put forward its long-awaited landmark legislative package to enable the EU's climate targets, making international shipping a new and very significant part of the mix. Shipping emissions, fuels, ports and bunker taxes are all very much targets of this new offensive, effectively meaning that Brussels is now the epicentre of shipping regulations and climate policy, at least for the next two years as EU governments and the European Parliament deliberate and decide the final details. It's a complex topic, but one that demands our attention. So in this special two-part edition of the Lawyers List podcast, We spoke to two people deeply involved in the negotiations for shipping's position in this package, albeit from opposite sides of the debate. Faig Abasov of the Brussels-based NGO Transport and Environment and Sotiris Raptis of the European Community Shipowners Association sat down with our sustainability editor Anastasios Adamopoulos for a thorough discussion on how this package will affect shipping, what the Commission has gotten right and what needs to change. You can listen to the second part of this special edition next Friday, when they will continue their conversation, examining what all this means for the global efforts towards decarbonisation. The legislative package that the Commission unveiled last week is very detailed, covers a lot of sectors and a lot of aspects of the various sectors. Feig, I'll start with you. What are the, the main positives, I guess, as far as shipping is concerned, and where do you think, generally speaking, more work needs to be done? Uh, Thank you, Anastasios. In general, the package is extremely important. This is the single most important climate package the European European Commission has ever proposed, Uh, not least because it also covers every single sector, and that is notably uh, the case in point is shipping. From, uh, From our perspective, we welcome this proposal. All three elements, meaning um, extension of shipping uh, maritime, sorry, extension of the ETS to cover maritime shipping, fuel EU maritime initiative, as well as alternative fuels infrastructure directive that touches upon um, shipping. Um, all in all, in balance, we, we welcomed the ambition of this proposal. But we believe that more work needs to be done in relation to fuel EU maritime initiative and Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, which is now proposed to be a regulation. These are two elements that we believe that core decision makers, the European Parliament and the Council of the European Union should should put extra effort on uh, to make sure that those two regulations actually achieve the goals that they have set for themselves as opposed to creating a difficult situation, notably in relation to biofuels and fossil energy. Mm. So, Deiris, do you sort of have the same assessment? Uh, thank you, Anastasios. Um, we, we welcome uh, the increased ambition, the increased climate ambition um, of, uh, of the EU. We recognize that climate crisis is one of the greatest economic and environmental challenges our societies uh, Phasing, are phasing, and even though we would have preferred an international solution for shipping, we welcome the increased climate ambition of the EU, and we recognize also that shipping should contribute further to address the climate crisis uh, at EU level as well. However, 
um, we have noticed a lack of consistency among some of the proposals included in the package. And importantly, this lack of consistency may undermine the overall climate ambition and environmental objectives of the package. It may undermine the delivery of real carbon savings, and it may also undermine the energy transition of our industry. For instance, on the ETS, um, we noticed that what we have proposed for a sector-specific fund is not there. And under the fuel EU maritime, um, we're really concerned that um, this proposal is not uh, consistent with the overall climate ambition of, uh, of the EU, and it may fail to deliver uh, the intended uh, carbon savings. But we can also dive in into the details later. We can we, we have also had to make a more uh, thorough analysis of the alternative fuels um, um, infrastructure uh, regulation of uh, of the revised renewable energy directive. Um, both uh, pieces of legislation are really important for the sector and uh, its energy transition. Mm, yeah, we will get to the especially the the fuel EU conversation because that's something that has been a concern for uh, well the groups that both of you represent for, for some time now uh, but but first I do want to touch on the ETS because it's the thing if you like that most people in this industry have known about uh, that they've been most focusing on and now we know exactly the extent of the the Commission's ambition because in its proposal, some international voyages, 50% of incoming and 50% of uh, outbound international voyages are included in in the scope of the ETS. So just looking at the proposal, you can sort of imagine or, or understand that a big change is, is coming for shipping. But Feig, I mean, could you explain or, or give us an idea of how you think shipping changes if it's included in the ETS in this in this format. What are sort of the the repercussions that you see for for the industry because of this? Mm -hmm. uh, good question. Um, I mean, in general, ETS proposal we believe it's ambitious. It's well balanced. There are certain elements we would like to see improved, but um, on balance, it's it's a good proposal. Um, in terms of what impact we expect from ETS, number one. ETS will put a price of about 57 euros per ton of CO2 on ships that sail um, to, from, and within the European Union. If we translate it into fuel costs, that is equivalent to about 160, 170 euros per ton of fuel premium, meaning that continued use of fossil fuel will be in that order more expensive. This depending on the baseline fuel prices, would certainly make certain um, technological solutions, especially energy efficiency technological solutions, more cost effective. Wind, exhaust heat recovery systems, or other um, energy saving devices could become more cost effective. Whether shipping industry will um, start using them is a different question, because NETS in itself does not require such a um, such a prescriptive change of behavior, it just makes certain um, uh, behavior more cost effective than than without ETS. But I believe um, 
Another important, perhaps even more important element of shipping ETS is they will generate a substantial amount of revenue. From 2026 onwards, every ship, every ton of CO2 covered by the geographical scope of ETS um, will be part of the carbon pricing system, 100%. And that will generate substantial amount of revenues, part of which will be allocated to innovation fund. Innovation fund is a funding mechanism of the European Union funded by the ETS revenues. Um, it helps to finance and deploy innovative technologies that would not otherwise be deployed uh, without public support. And for the first time, Innovation Fund explicitly refers maritime sector as a potential user of this fund. And um, as a cherry on top, they even refer to some of the important technological solutions that we believe will be essential for decarbonization, notably deployment of green hydrogen, green ammonia, but also wind technologies that could be subsidized um, by this innovation fund. Again, here we're not only talking about giving subsidies to purchase vessels that are capable of running, for example, green ammonia. Innovation funds scope has also been uh, extended. It now covers carbon contracts for difference. This is very technical EU fashion uh, terminology, but essentially it means that providing some operational subsidies to companies Again, this is not limited shipping, but uh, all sectors covered by ETS, providing operational subsidies to help them deploy those innovative solutions and energy in operation. And this is very important because literature shows us that the most important cost element in transition is not the capital expenditures to purchase relevant zero emission capable vessels. It's actually the operational costs of those vessels because fuel is the single most important element in the cost structure of um, in shipping business and providing subsidies for cleaner fuels will be essential to push the industry um, in, um, to, to, to change, uh, to, to switch technologies and eventually decarbonize. Hmm. So Thiris, you, you mentioned how the idea or the, the, the desire you had for the creation of a bespoke fund for shipping did not materialize. Uh, FIG has also openly spoken, had also openly spoken uh, in favor of the creation of, of such a fund using the revenues from the ETS as well. So, so Diris, I'll go back to the question um, I asked FIG about how you see the impact, but I do also want to ask whether you're satisfied with the, the access to the innovation fund given that the bespoke fund you wanted was not included in the commission proposal uh, and if not do you still see potential for it to for this for such a fund to develop through the negotiations uh, with the parliament and the and the council over the next uh, year couple of years mm -hmm. indeed it's positive that the mandate of uh, the innovation fund the new innovation funds has been extended. Shipping did have access, does have, uh, does have access to the innovation fund, to the current innovation fund. The thing is that the current innovation fund finances only breakthrough technologies, very innovative projects. The new innovation fund is extended to cover also possibly the 
price gap between conventional fuels and clean fuels through the so-called carbon contracts for difference, as Feig previously mentioned. It's definitely positive that the innovation fund has got a new mandate, but it's clearly not enough. That's why we have asked for a sector-specific um, fund. And the reason why we, um, we, we put so much emphasis on the idea of a fund is that we don't need only the reinvestment of the revenues. Of course, we need it. Of course, we need to see, um, let me give you an example, almost 80% of the current ETS revenues are reinvested back in the energy transition of uh, land-based industries. Renewable electricity we use in our households is financially supported by the ETS revenues. And we want to see the same happening for shipping. For a number of reasons, shipping companies don't have proper access to EU financing. And this is why we have proposed a sector-specific fund. But on top of that, we need a fund to stabilize the carbon price for the backbone of our industry, for the SMEs. A fund will give the opportunity to, to SMEs to trade through it into the EU market and to factor in the contracts they make, the carbon price of the next year. And that was the proposal of the European Parliament to take into account the carbon price of the ETS of the previous year and um, to take that as a price reference um, under a shipping fund, the ocean fund. This, this is why it, it, it's really important for us. But talking about the overall impact of the ETS on the shipping sector, I think it's too early to say, to be honest. The devil is in the details and that it's going to be a long, long process, the co-decision process, um, between the two EU co-legislators, the European Parliament and the Council. It really depends on the number of free allowances for other sectors. It really depends on the reduction target. We know what the Commission proposed, but we need to see what the Parliament and the Council will say about um, the reduction target. We need to see also what will be the final proposals for the use of the revenues. And it is also especially important for us to see how much this system will be scalable at IMO level. This process uh, will take at least one and a half or two years. And um, apart from the fact that we need to really uh, dive into the details, it's going to be a long, long process. A first reflection on the positive elements. A phasing period is part of the proposal. Of course, we need to look at the time periods and the percentages, but it's definitely positive that our proposal for a phasing period is included. As I said before, um, the new mandate of the Innovation Fund is definitely positive, but not enough. It's also positive that carbon contracts for difference will be eligible for financing under the new Innovation Fund. It's also positive that the revenues going um, to the Innovation Fund have significantly uh, increased. It's also positive um, that the role of the commercial operator is recognized. The new directive must ensure that all supply uh, chain stakeholders, including the commercial operators, have the proper incentives to make uh, climate conscious decisions. But as I said before, the sector specific fund hasn't been taken on board, although 
it was assessed by the impact assessment study. And I don't, I want, I don't want to repeat myself about how important uh, is a sector-specific fund for ourselves. Just a final point, this fund, the idea of having a sector-specific fund, has been supported not only by the European Parliament, a very broad uh, cross-party support, not only by NGOs like uh, TNE, but also by other um, industry stakeholders. Mm. And like you said, it's a long process ahead. But I think it's it was stark to me how even at this point, when it came to, to the fuel EU regulation, the, the proposal, there was, I would say, broad sort of disapproval of some of the, the main elements in the proposals across the, the spectrum, if you like. So for those of uh, our listeners who you know are not, perhaps not familiar, the fuel EU introduces fuel um, greenhouse gas intensity requirements on ship fuels. The first ones ever, they would begin in uh, 2025 and, and the requirements would be ramped up every five years. Those are for ships that call at uh, ports in the European economic area. But what's been interesting is the fact that both of you, both of your groups have had quite deep issues with this proposal. And I don't think that's, you know, when when both an environmental group and, a, and an industry group are criticize you for, for quite similar reasons, I don't think that's a good sign as to, you know, A, where this proposal is going, B, its potential effects. And I think it brings into question how much should change here. So I, I do want to know from both of you sort of what your problems are with this specific proposal and what really needs, needs to change to make it an actual, you know, an effective one that can contribute to the overall goal of, of combating climate change from the shipping in the EU perspective. So Tiris, I can start with you on this one. Thank you, Anastasius. Um, the problem for us is the enforcement, uh, the problematic enforcement. The fact that this proposal may create an enforcement minefield, to be honest with you. Making the fuel EU maritime regulation a missed opportunity for the sector. Of course, we welcome the objective of the regulation to foster the market uptake of cleaner fuels that are currently not commercially available. But the problem is that the regulation covers all bunkering operations all across the world, which would be really problematic, especially for biofuels, meaning that biofuels bunkered um, outside the EU will contribute to the achievement of the EU climate targets. Which authority, which EU competent authority will make sure that biofuels bunkered outside the EU comply with EU sustainability criteria? And FIKE will step in saying that these sustainability criteria are not stringent enough. Of course, we're, we're not commending on that. We're just saying that which EU combat authority will make sure that the current and the future EU sustainability criteria will be respected outside the EU. The Commission knows that. And this is why they want to make ships liable and make ships importers of biofuels into the EU market. This will be highly problematic, the push for biofuels purchased outside the EU. And it will also put at risk the achievement of uh, real emissions reductions. 
Lux enforcement will create a two-tier market for fuel suppliers, one inside the EU and one outside the EU. And this would also probably undermine refueling businesses within the EU. Clearly, the EU maritime, the fuel EU maritime must not repeat the initial EU biofuels policy back in 2008. Um, this policy was introduced as part of the packets, the 2020-20 EU climate packets in 2008. And I remember that the Commission rushed to overhaul uh, their own policy uh, just three years after and introduce um, a cap on, on, on biofuels. We need to be really, uh, really cautious. And although it is of utmost importance that flexibility is safeguard in the provisions of the new regulation, the introduction of double counting or double requirements must be avoided. And an obvious solution, but and we are ready to discuss with all uh, stakeholders, um, with environmental NGOs, what kind of solutions we should uh, come up with. One of uh, one solution could be to that compliance for these new standards should rest with the EU fuel suppliers to give all the right incentives and requirements to the EU fuel suppliers to make clean fuels available in the market. This is um, the logic of the Renewable Energy Directive. This is also the logic of the refuel um, EU aviation regulation. I know that the counter argument will be the spike on, on the uh, marine fuel price within the EU. But this is why the EU is introducing a new carbon pricing mechanism, the EU ETS. This is why the EU is introducing this new concept of uh, the carbon contracts for difference. One last comment on the onshore power supply. It, it seems to be really weird that, um, that um, the penalties uh, for not making um, the infrastructure available in the port is addressing um, the ships and not um, uh, and not either not the member states, but the member states have to make sure that ports have um, the infrastructure have made the infrastructure available. The new regulation uh, lays down that all ships, container ships, and passenger ships will have to use will have to connect to onshore power supply after 2035, no matter if the infrastructure is available in the port. And this doesn't really match also the provisions of um, of the alternative fuels infrastructure regulation. It's something that we also need to to check out with the other stakeholders. Mm. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll get to the um, the supply side in a minute. Five, where, where do you stand on the on the fuel EU issue? Thanks, Anastasios. Um, you know, let me start by saying that despite the lack of attention that fuel EU has received so far from the media, both within the EU or outside the EU, but also from stakeholders, maritime stakeholders, not least shipping industry itself. Fuel EU maritime regulation proposal is the single most important piece of legislation in my mind that comes out of that came out of that 5455 package. And it will remain likely the single most important legislation anywhere in the world that will make or break the transition to green technologies in shipping. This is very important. It has been treated as a technical rule, perhaps because of its complexity, which I understand, uh, but it has not 
it has not received the attention it deserves. In that sense, we very much agree with the overall goal of the Fuel Maritime Initiative, which is create predictable demand for sustainable alternative fuels in shipping. I think when it comes to that overall objective, the European Commission nailed it. They actually identified the right problem. We don't have green fuels in shipping simply because there is no demand for it. And that's why there is no investment being put in place to, to produce and make them available to the industry. When it comes to the, the detail, or rather details, Philly U has um, certain important elements. Geographical scope is very good. Life cycle basis compliance mechanism is great. There is a flexibility mechanism built into the system, which we believe that could be further improved. And to be honest, um, the, the flexibility mechanism, meaning the, the, the credit exchange mechanism that we had seen in the earlier draft was much better than the one we have, we have been left with. Uh, in the final proposal. I mean, those things could be could be worked on and dealt with. I think what is the most important and challenging aspect of it is the regular. If if everybody, pretty much everybody, agrees that the future of shipping, whether it is in five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty or thirty years, is to rely on sustainable, scalable alternative fuels. And pretty much everybody agrees that those fuels will need to be produced from green hydrogen, green electricity. This regulation currently does nothing to incentivize the uptake of those fuels. So it has set the right goal, but it has not provided the right tools to bring about predictable demand for those specific fuels. Which fuels I'm talking about, green hydrogen, green ammonia, green um, carbon-based e-fuels, none of those uh, will be favoured unless this regulation proposed by the Commission is changed substantially. Now, what we think is most important to do to actually bring about that future, number one, and probably single most important element is application of multipliers for shipping companies and that want to deploy uh, green e-fuels, as I mentioned, um, as opposed to marginally improving their, um, their existing fleet by blending biofuels. So multiplier, as we understand, it, 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 it's, an, it's, a, it's a super credit mechanism. Again, not to be confused with ETS, it has nothing to do with ETS. It just gives additional incentives for the companies to, to go with specific fuel as opposed to the other one. It has been successfully used in car theater regulation has been successfully used in renewable energy directive of the European Union, the current one. But for some reason, the Commission saw no need uh, to apply the same to fuel EU maritime regulation, even though the impact assessment of this very proposal actually concluded that having such a multiplier would be beneficial to have those innovative fuels, innovative technologies being taken up by the industry. So this is something that European Parliament and the member states, as well as especially the industry, shipping industries, should pay um, detailed attention to, because if they want to have a change, they need to they need to be giving the shipping industry needs to be given the right tools uh, to make that 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 transition possible and transition is easy. When it comes to biofuels, I could not agree more with everything that you said. It seems like the Department of the European Commission in charge of this regulation, 
drafting this regulation rather has so no benefit or has so no need to to put serious thought about into the enforcement question when it comes to biofuels ships can I, again i'm not i'm not raising the question about every single shipping company using good biofuels there are certainly companies that have big reputations at stake and they would think twice before even thinking about using unsustainable biofuels again my criticism is not about everyone my criticism is about quite substantial parts of the industry that might not be as scrupulous as the big companies such as mers to to opt for good biofuels and that will create as the theory said two tier market those who because of their reputation try to do the right thing and the rest of the industry perhaps a majority of the industry going for cheap and dirty biofuels and nobody knows how to differentiate them so we see it as a single most important and challenging aspect of this regulation this could have been reduced this risk could have been reduced by simply reducing the reliance of this regulation on biofuels as simple as that uh, but unfortunately we, we when we called um such a change uh, from the earlier draft the european commission did not include those aspects um into the final proposal despite the same ask came uh from from industry as well now when it comes to the potential solution that satirist mentioned um well i would i would uh, kind of disagree with his solution again i uh, you haven't invited us to agree with each other right on everything not at all Swi- switching indeed switching the obligation from shipping company whether it's an operator commercial operator or ship owner i'm not going into that detail at this stage switching uh, switching the obligation from a ship to the fuel supplier will not solve that problem in so far as that it will lead to a totally different problem which is evasion from the regulation ships have huge tanks they can bunker outside the european union and they don't need to bunker every time they call at european port so if the obligation is on the european fuel supplier european shipping companies or rather ships calling at european union will simply bunker outside and that means that you have an evasion and the goals objectives of the regulation are not met i very much understand where this is coming from because putting obligation on the supplier it gives territorially bound jurisdiction on the european union to enforce those sustainable criteria on the fuel suppliers that are based in the european union so i very much understand this logic and i also understand his reference to renewable energy directive because that directive puts obligation on the fuel supplier but renewable energy directive largely covered sectors that were geographically bound to the european union cars don't go out to the european union to refuel and come back i mean except the marginal cases when you have i don't know cross border cases when trucks could originate from i don't know belarus ukraine russia and cross into the european union and they wouldn't refuel in the european union to avoid the eu rules but those are marginal cases 99% of the land transport the refuel in the european union So when the obligation is put on the fuel supplier that's more than enough but this is not the same for shipping so shipping needs to have a different logic in that sense the commission perhaps was in between a rock and a hard place if the obligation is not on the ship then they will evade 
But when the obligation is on the ship, it's difficult to enforce. In our minds, the right balance would have been found in limiting the uptake or limiting the incentive to uptake the fuels that are more likely to be at risk of cheating. That would be the right solution. But unfortunately, this was not taken up. Again, just to wrap up, my our solution is to limit the space given in this regulation to biofuels and apply multipliers, specifically multiplier of five, to ships that use green fuels based on green hydrogen. Well, that's where we're going to leave it for this week. We will be back next week with the second half of this conversation. But in the meantime, look out for a special edition of the podcast on Wednesday, where I'm going to be discussing the future of crewing with the Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping, Guy Platten. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.